What does the growing influence of activist investors mean for public company boards of directors? In this January 2017 podcast for McKinsey on Finance, McKinsey's Tim Kohler explores that question with Rotman School of Management Professor David Beatty. Beatty, who has served on more than 39 boards of directors and been chair of nine publicly traded companies, argues that activists will fundamentally change the board's role with investors and with management. I'm Dennis Swinford, editor, and what follows has been adapted from Tim's conversation with David last month. Let's first hear from Tim. David, thank you for for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about your recently published article on the impact of activist investors on boards of directors and their relationships with the management uh, and other aspects of the companies. What you focus on in this article is a bit unique, which is how the activists are changing the role of the board. Uh, and how they interact with investors and, and, and the company. You talk about uh, specifically changes in investor relations, uh, the need for outside views or outside voices uh, to, to provide more information to the board of directors. And then finally, you talk about uh, increasing transparency between the board and the executive management team. So why don't we start off first with investor relations? So it's been my experience over the decades I've been on boards, that we generally left relationships with the investors to the IR department. Uh, The board would get regular updates as to who the largest investors in the company were, and some of the board members might well indeed know some of those investors. But generally speaking, um, you left it to the management team at their quarterly briefings with the analysts and or the annual general meeting to deal with those investors by themselves and or with the investor relations department. And it was really never accepted practice to have the chairman of the board or the chairman of the audit committee or the chairman of HR or compensation deal directly with them. And now, my belief is that that's fundamentally changed and is never going to revert back to the old model. And indeed, some of the largest companies in the United States now has the chair meeting with senior uh, representatives of the investors uh, one-on-one sometimes, sometimes with the CEO, sometimes without, Um, to the extent that the chair of the SEC has said she regards it now as one of the primary functions of the board of directors to have relationships with the major shareholders. So it's the tone at the top is saying to boards, this is different, this is changing, and the pressures on the company, I think, are changing enormously. If the, if the chairman of the board is going to be meeting directly with investors, particularly one-on-one, how does that change what the chair has to do in terms of being knowledgeable and being able to talk with investors? Yeah, well, it's a new added responsibility, so clearly that's going to mean more hours, Uh The other thing I think it means is you've got to be very sure that you're not going to transgress Regulation FD, fair disclosure. So there's been a lot of work done on shareholder-director exchanges to make sure that that boundary is not uh, penetrated. But yes, I think you'll have to be much more informed on a lot more detail uh, as a chair um, than you would otherwise have been. Now, one hopes that all chairs or lead directors, I think one might say more appropriately, because we're not talking about the chair CEO when that's one person. We're talking about the lead independent director. Uh, It's going to make a big difference in their briefing, and um, they're going to have to be very cautious in terms of what they reveal, and they're going to have to be very open when they come back home 
to give a complete debrief to the management team about what actually went on. Uh, so it's it's a, both a political and very delicate area, and I think it's going to be an area that's going to require a significant amount of due diligence on behalf of the parties that are going out to ensure that they share a common understanding of the company's progress, that they share an understanding of what has been disclosed under the fair disclosure rules, and that they understand uh, what the management message is to get across to the shareholders. So very different, yes. What do you think that the investors that the chairman talks to will be interested in listening to the chairman versus, say, listening to the CEO? Or what are they going to be looking for from the chairman that might be uh, similar or different than when they're talking to the CEO or the CFO? Well, that's a very interesting question. I'm not sure, and I think it's probably going to vary a lot by the investor. So large, sophisticated companies like a Vanguard um, are going to have one point of view. If you have a 5% shareholder who ranks in the top 10 who may be a little less knowledgeable, a little less grounded, they might be interested in different things. I think the investor would always regard the board of directors as the sort of the first line of defense against any management running amok or a foul, um, and they would also regard it as a key partner in the strategy of the corporation. Certainly they approve strategy, and most corporations generally have the board working together with the management team on strategy. So perhaps they're looking for a little longer-term output than perhaps might be the norm for quarterly results. The chair, I think, would naturally, with the board, be longer term than a management team pushed by the latest quarterly earnings to defend those numbers. Just possibly. Having the chair represent the company to some of the investors might well give us a lead to a longer term horizon for companies than we have today. Typically, boards get all the papers of all the analysts commenting on all of the last quarter, and then the management team goes into the quarterly earnings calls and is peppered with questions by the analysts. So the entire dialogue with the external community, I think, is currently dominated by uh, pressure to short term. And I'm hoping that by discussing these matters with the longer term shareholders, you will just get by osmosis a different sense in the board as to who's important and what the time frame is of their importance. Is there a role to play here for the chairman of the board to listen to investors as opposed to just telling them their story and answering questions? Yeah, very good point. I think what's now happening is there's a lot of interrelationships between the so-called activists and the longer-term vanguards and BlackRocks of the world So by being able to listen to what the investor knows, um, I think a chair could learn a lot because if you made the supposition that every reasonably sized market cap publicly traded corporation was being looked at by one, three, five activist funds, the first place those funds will go to test their ideas are the investors, the longer term bigger investors. Um, And so they may well be able to reflect back to the chairman of the board the concerns they would have about the company's strategy that would be a lot deeper than a very sort of once-over-lightly approach. So there could indeed be a lot for the board to learn about alternative strategies and the thoughts that their largest investors have with respect to alternative strategies.
Anything else you'd like to add about the relationship between the board and investors and how that may evolve? I'm hoping that there'll be a lot of open discussion between various board chairs as to how they've handled it and what they've learned and um, how they're, how what they're learning is coming back into the company. I'm a very strong believer that best practices should be promulgated, and it's, there are a lot of uh, mechanisms in America for information and advice and best practices to be shared, and uh, that might by itself take us the second dimension into how you act on strategy, which is the second major piece of my of my article. Yeah, why don't you just move directly onto that? The one the one thing to mention, I think, about the investor side of the community is that this time the activists in the last five years have mobilized what were previously passive trillions of dollars worth of investment. I think it's fair to characterize perhaps the 80s and 90s. They were raiders, not investors. And they tended to vilify the management teams and perhaps even the boards of the companies they went after. And so the large, responsible, quote, respectable pension funds and asset managers wouldn't go near them. Now, these same attacks on companies are styled more as strategists, activists, construction, constructionists is a European term they use. And I think it's quite plausible for any uh, large-scale investor to want to understand what their point of view is. And indeed, that's happened. So trillions of dollars worth of assets are now kind of mobilized behind these activists before they actually phone the company. If that's the case, and I believe it to be the case, then how a company goes about its corporate strategy really has to be reconsidered. Everybody used to go away for a one- or a two-day strategy enclave meeting once a year, assess where we were, where we wanted to be when we grew up, who was going to get us there, what the competitors were doing, what kinds of technologies were transforming our businesses. Everybody did that. I would say 90% of the time, it would be led by management. And in a sense, you are then drinking the same bathwater that you've been drinking all year long in your strategy updates. So the off-site strategy meeting now, I think, affords a, a board and a management team, if they are open to this, to get points of view on how others think of the deployment of their assets, their capital, and their people in the various markets in which they're participating. And that's new, and that's going to be very threatening, and it's going to be challenging to implement the first time because it requires an entirely different mindset. I think the general paradigm would be management runs the business, the board oversees management, and the board then is largely dependent upon its own wisdom and upon what management gives it. And you only eat what's put on the table in front of you. You don't know what goes on in the kitchen. Now we're saying, listen, if there's four or five activists out there, if they've already talked to your 10 major shareholders about how you might be doing different businesses uh, or business differently, hadn't we better get somebody who understands other ways of looking at our asset base other than our management team in here during our strategy offsite to just to talk about it? And yes, it's going to be threatening to the established point of view, but this is happening already. It's outside of us. We might as well internalize it now and internalize it in a very constructive way. So let's find two or three activist funds who are looking at us, who maybe even have to date phoned us and in and begun a conversation with the board um, and invite them in and say, please, come, speak to our board, speak to our management team, give us your points of view on how you would deploy our assets and our, our talented people, and we'll listen. We'll listen carefully and attentively, and we'll take it in stride. 
that's brand new, and um, I don't think it's avoidable any longer. As we think about, or as you mentioned, having the activists actually uh, maybe present to the board of directors or, uh, their points of view, is that going to be constructive for management, or is that going to be something that's going to be uh, negative for the company? Well, it all depends on the individual psyches of the executives and the nature of the demands. There are many different kinds of activists, and something in the order of 50 to 65 percent of, of, quote, campaigns against company strategy are settled without becoming public. So the majority of activists involvement with the company are settled amicably because they do start to talk to them and they have an honest interest, not necessarily in taking over the company, but changing the way it's thinking about its businesses. So I think there is a real sense in which at least a significant percentage of the activist players are in fact constructivists, are people who have spent three to five million dollars to pick a number and perhaps interviewed a hundred people to come to a point of view on what they would do had they been in charge of the deployment of the assets of the corporation, both physical and human. Uh, so they're not, um, they're not all external fights. Many of, the, many of these are settled quite amicably. Well, amicably would be too strong, but many of them are settled between the board and the activist fund without ever becoming public. And how do you convince the CEO uh, to get comfortable with the activist presenting to the board how do you, you know, overcome their inherent reluctance well, to have an outside? I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it's one of those arenas where a good deal of political diplomacy may be necessary. But at the end of the day, I think any board chair or lead independent director would have to say to any CEO, this is the way the world is now working. And so we as a board have taken a decision that we will be seeing these activists and listening to them and hopefully you'll be with us. But this is a decision we've taken, not a discussion we're entering into. Somewhere between that, that's the iron fist and the velvet glove. Um, I think you've just got to make your CEOs aware this is, this is a pandemic. It's not going away. It's a tidal wave. It's a tsunami. You can't just hold your breath. You've got to take this into account as to how we're going to manage board management relationships. And let's go forward. Um, you talked about having activists uh, present to the board their points of view and their analysis? Are there others who may also be helpful to the board? So, for example, uh, other investors who are not activists but have followed a company for a long time or long-time shareholders or industry experts, those kind of things. So, do you see that as well? or is it like, Absolutely. Yeah, I, no, I think many ears should be bent. So I'm not saying it should be only activists when you go off-site. I would hope to have the conversation at the board, perhaps just with the CEO at the end of the meeting, saying, listen, we're coming up in three months to our annual offsite. Uh, let's develop a full list of the kind of external points of view on us and our service levels and our asset deployment as we could. Um, and who would you like to see, Mr. CEO? And he might well say, well, I think we should speak to some of our most prominent customers or some of our most prominent suppliers uh, or some of our most prominent investment bankers. I'd canvas the whole waterfront for people who could help you understand uh, what might be done differently in this company going forward. I think anything that's going to expand your universe of potential options for deploying the assets within the company would be hugely beneficial to any board at any time. But now it's required because there are people out there doing exactly that. And the better a board can understand the alternates, 
the more it can assess them, appraise them with the management team, hopefully, and come to some conclusion as to what, in fact, is the best way forward in a three to a five to a ten-year time frame for the corporation without being bullied and forced at the moment of, of uh, going public. Have you heard from any board members who've experienced that, that they found it a useful experience or not, regardless of the decisions that came out of it? Have they said, yes, this was a great way to do something? Uh, no, the people I've talked to that have done it, I think, are still slightly anxious about it. Uh, it certainly breaks with the tradition that we've lived with for a long, long time of management preeminence in the deployment of the company and the board opining on the strategy, helping to formulate it, but ultimately saying to the managerial team, it's your job to come up with the strategy and then yours to implement it and execute it, and we'll hold you accountable for that. This is getting you a lot deeper into alternate points of view. And I think most directors that I've talked to who have done this still feel a little anxious and uncomfortable about the about this transformation because it's profound psychologically. It's very, very deep. And I think it pulls the board closer to the management team. And if the typical sense was, you know, nose in, fingers out, this takes you just a little bit closer to the action. And... Um, that's hard. That leads then to the next thing that you talk about in your article, which is about the relationship between the board and management, and particularly in the area of tr more transparency. Can you elaborate on that? I think a, a good management team will come to its board and say, we're recommending that we acquire business X or that we divest business Y based on the following three uh, assumptions or reasons. But, and this would be the big the big transformation, I think, in that relationship between the management and the board. But in coming to that decision, there were a lot of things that caused us a lot of consternation for quite a while, and here they are. So a management team that's been open like that, as opposed to saying, we want to divest business-wide tomorrow, and we're going to sell it, are there any questions, versus a management team that says to its board, listen, we've come to the determination that we should be selling business-wide, but it was a tough decision to reach and the kinds of things we weren't sure of, and I'd welcome your views on that. That's a more open, transparent relationship that I would strongly encourage any chair uh, to, to, to build on. Um, but as I say, I think it's traveling a long distance from where a typical board is positioned historically. So it's, it's new and it's threatening, and, um, but it's necessary. Now, each board will have its own culture. Each board and management team interaction will have its own flavor. So I'm operating a level of, of significant generalization. But I do think at that level, it's going to be necessary to open up these discussions a lot more. Traditionally, some CEOs have the desire to be absolutely confident in whatever they're going to do. Uh, and so when they go to the board, they present it uh, as if, you know, we're, you know, 100% sure we're going to be able to accomplish this plan. There's no uncertainty. Uh, what you're introducing with the idea of transparency naturally leads to, you know, more introspection in the board meeting uh, and more, you know, the, the CEO having to admit that there is uncertainty, that there are all alternatives, that things could go wrong, et cetera. Uh, is that good or bad for the CEO uh, in the eyes of the board, do you think? Well, I think that ultimately the CEO is going to have to accommodate the degrees of, of gray between issues. I, I don't think many of them in today's world are black or white. 
there's all kinds of shades of gray. And I think you can be a confident leader, confident in your business judgment, and still be open and humble enough to say, of course, there were issues that we really struggled with. And we'd love to share them with you because you're here as a director investing your time in the hopes that you can influence the long-term trajectory of this corporation. So tell me what your views are on this or that matter. Some of the best practices in boards include uh, at least a monthly catch-up, a one-pager from the CEO to the directors. Some of the boards that I've been on even had a one-week when we were in some kind of a difficulty. There'd be a weekly catch-up, a one-page memo from the CEO to the board, the entire board. And I believe it begins with the chair working with the CEO to develop a really deeply bonded, open, transparent relationship, which then allows them to discuss these matters as to how do we involve the board and what should we be doing now and what memos should you be sending them and how should you present this and who should present it. All that should be open. And if that happens, then I think we're on good ground. And we'll be doing the CEO a good service as board directors, and we'll be doing the shareholders and other stakeholders a, a profoundly good service in the medium to long term. Well, David, thank you very much. It's been a very interesting conversation. Um, well, thank you for having me.